Ruth Campbell leading and Eva Campbell reading and Joe and Janet Campbell preaching, you could be forgiven for whistling the Campbells are coming. <laughs> it's very nice to be here. We returned from Nepal in August of this year after four years. And we are members of a church, uh, the, the Presbyterian Church in Hollywood. And in many respects, it was a bit of a shock for us to go overseas. We had to leave our bus passes at home. They're not effective in Nepal. So it was a, a very different kind of life. But let me say, first of all, why we went to Nepal. Why Nepal particularly? Um, they had a very serious and a very dirty civil war between 1996 and 2006. You will not have heard of it, which is not surprising. They have not heard of our civil war here. They think IRA, oh, Inland Revenue Association. That's how they associate with that. Um, but this civil war that they had was very vicious. 16,000 people were killed in 10 years. In Northern Ireland, 25 years, we just managed 4,000. In Nepal today, there are 9,000 war widows. That's in a country where there's no social security in any shape or form. And as I said to the children, where health and education has to be paid for. Our jobs... I had been working for... 15 or 20 years uh, in mediation and peace building here, meeting with politicians, paramilitary groups, police and army. And Janet is a trained nurse, worked down on the interface at the end of this road, and a counsellor and trauma specialist. So we had some skills, and we had some preparation but we didn't expect God to tap us on the shoulder and say, what about you going whenever uh, the mission in Nepal asked PCI, are there people there who can help us as an agency work in a situation of distrust, devastation, and conflict? So we went. But we had a lot of questions. Lots of questions. How will we cope how will we leave our family? The youngest is, was 19 years, and she had just had her first year at university. The other two were also in Scotland. How will we manage language study? I mean, how do you learn a language at our stage in life? With great difficulty. <laughs> actually, it's actually very easy. You sit with a teacher for an hour or two hours, and then you come out, and an hour later you wonder, where is that gone? It just slips through a basket and you're lost. So most of communication, or a lot of communication, is body language. And that, that's an important thing in any culture, I guess. How do we adapt to a very different culture? Very, very different. We went to Nepal, land of hills as jo or mountains, Joe said. We went through PCI, Presbyterian Church in Ireland, to the United Mission to Nepal. And they have been working in UMN in Nepal for 54 years. It's a development agency, a Christian development agency. Nepal is 500 miles from east to west, 150 north to south 
and a population of 28 million. Now, the door is here to remind us that it's 85% Hindu there, very different. The difference are value of life in a country where the basic belief is that you're going to be reincarnated. Life isn't always precious. In a country where there are thousands, someone said a million gods, here you see some of the carvings of them, gods that have to be appeased with sacrifice. It's a very, very different way of living. And we saw at one time of the year hundreds of animals which were sacrificed. Travel was risky. Um, we traveled because UMN works in seven different areas. We traveled to these different areas of Nepal. And um, we're going to talk to you about just one area, the work in Rukum today. So it was an adventure. Here you can see our mode of travel. The runway just sort of runs off at the edge of the cliff there, so they have to get it right, or you want the upcurrents going on okay. And th this plane takes 18 people, but we have been in it when there's been over 25 people in it. You just sit in one another's knees and people lie in the aisle between the seats. And I arrived in a place on that plane, actually, and <clears throat> got out of the plane. And there were people got onto the plane, just like a bus. But they couldn't start the engine. They wouldn't start. Just black smoke. Like an old car used to be. And they decided to leave it till the morning, when the engine had cooled down. And they went out in the morning, and I started first time. No maintenance. There isn't a Nepali word for maintenance. If it breaks down, you'll fix it. But you'll work at it until it's going again, and you just hope that it's okay. So we went, we flew in and out of places. We're very fortunate, actually. Kathmandu is a place of two million. It's very contaminated. It's in a bowl. The air isn't clean at all. The air here is wonderful in comparison. But we got out to various places about once a month, which is refreshing. The roads we went on, you can see here, not much room for passing there. And um, we did have some sticky moments sometimes, so we were very grateful for those at home who prayed for us regularly. The road to Rukum was only just built in the last two years, so the way in and out was by foot. And in the advertisement for our job application, it said, must be able to walk distances. We didn't quite realize what that meant with the ups and downs, but we soon learned. Let's take you to Rukum because that's the place where the PW Overseas Project is established there. Now, this is the pastor of the church. And it was really at his instigation, if you like, he was stirred to action. Small church. One more slide, I think. And this is the main street in Rookham, where people just take water from the standpipe. Now, you might think, oh, there's only... Um, uh, a couple of hundred people living there. Actually, in that village in that district, there's 2,000 people. And then the whole district, which is like our council districts, there's over 40,000 people. That's where the war started. And the pastor said, we've got so many widows in our community. We'd like to work with them. Can you help us? Just at that point, we heard about the PW project and they were looking to place money into Nepal. Well, that was an obvious mix. Widows here, 
and, and sorry, widows in Nepal and women here. So it was an obvious fit. One more picture. This is the church, his church. And you see that men are sitting on one side and women on the other. It's just the pictures taken from the woman's side. But they're very demonstrative people. They'll stand, they'll clap, they'll dance. Perhaps, maybe, that's why the church is growing in Nepal at 15% a year. Amazing. They don't need people like us to go to be evangelists or church planters. They're doing fine, actually. Very well indeed. So the church just keeps on growing. But this particular church wanted to serve the people, the Hindu people where they are, and all of those widows. So the money went to that particular church and two sister churches. One more picture. There's another church. That's two days' walk away from the, from the center. And so remote. And one more picture. And there's the pastor. Now, that's the view from his church door. It certainly beats the Upper Newton Arge Road, would you say? <clears throat> but so but there are three churches in this group. And they're working together with over 260 widows. What are they doing? Well, Eva read for us the story of a, a widow who had no food, not unlike widows in Nepal. In fact, Janet, say a wee bit about widowhood. Widows are second-class citizens, but even worse than that, widows are considered to be unlucky. If you're a widow, you bring bad luck. If you're a widow, you are responsible for your husband's death, which seems incredible. There are lots of stories, but one of them is that this young woman's husband went off as a lorry driver. He had a bad accident. He was killed. She was called by the police to go and identify him. It took days to, a day to go through all the paperwork, etc. And when she went back to her home, now, women in Nepal always marry and go to the husband's family. When she got back to her in-law's house, the door was closed and her possessions were on the, front, the doorstep. She wasn't allowed back into that house because she had been responsible for her husband's death. It seems incredible to us. Widows don't remarry. So you see something of the plight, the depth of desperation that widows have in Nepal. And they tend to stick together. So here's a group of them connected with one of those three churches that we spoke about. And the next picture will show you they're, they're growing things. They have to get income. There's no income. There's no rice on the table for them to eat. There's no rice for their children, so they must have income. They're growing these mushrooms, the first mushrooms to be grown in that remote area. And they sold them, and they got money. In another picture, you'll show it's all, it's all heavy work. There's no machinery. They don't even have a bullock to, to plow the field. They're just, they do it by hand. And one more picture. You see, life is so simple. And that's why even a small amount of money here makes an enormous difference. Now, Eva read for us about a widow and oil. And Elijah sent her in to pour out the little oil she had. Now, we'd like to tell you about how these widows are changing plants into oil. Essential oil. You know the oil you burn in those little burners, the smell of room at Christmas time or at other times? 
the oil that's used in the pharmaceutical industry now, as well as growing vegetables, and one more picture, as well as growing vegetables, they've been planting lemongrass, ginger, the white flower of rhododendron, and other plants, and in another year, they will be harvesting those plants and put into the machinery that was bought by PCI money. In fact, all the seeds, all the training, all the education that the women are getting is coming out of the PW budget. Put into this machine and heat it up to a very high temperature. Lemongrass plants will drip out as very concentrated oil into small bottles easily carried out of that district, carried on your back out of that district. That oil will be imported into here, Northern Ireland, and then sold off from here into the pharmaceutical industry in the rest of the UK. Plants to oil. Now let me say something about the church, one of the churches that I was in last May. I noticed when they were taking up the offering that some people were putting in little plastic bags into the offering plate. And I couldn't understand what that was. It certainly wasn't bundles of money. And I asked the pastor afterwards, what's in the plastic bags? And he said, Joe, those people are so poor. They're putting in fruit from their gardens. Because we teach in the Nepali church that you give a tenth, that you tithe. And if you don't have money, you tithe what you had. And for these people, that was fruit. Then the church uses that fruit for even poorer people in the community. See how the church has been stirred to action. One more picture. Healthcare. These women will also have six monthly health checks. The doctors will be brought in and they will be taken care of. Now in four years time, those women will have formed their own co-op and will be self-sufficient. Their children as well, Janet. Obviously, children are very precious in Nepal, but they're also very vulnerable, and many die either at childbirth or just afterwards. So uh, we have to go there and think of what is relevant and possible, and there are programs for vaccinations. TB is rife. About half of the population are reckoned to have TB or, um, if not active, have got over it. Children are vulnerable because they're not often looked after by parents because the parents are in the fields or the father is away overseas. Children often have to look after each other. And when I visited a ward in Townsend Hospital, I couldn't understand why all these children had broken limbs. And I asked why, and they said, well, the children have been going up the tree and picking the mangoes. Um, they sell the mangoes, but the parents are away in the fields and their children would fall from the tree. The parents would only know in the evening that their child had had an accident. And so the hospital found that a lot of the children were brought in the evening to the hospital and they had to be hospitalized. So children 
are precious but are very, very vulnerable. As you can see here, they have to work hard and nutrition is poor. There are areas of Nepal where they don't have one meal, a good meal a day. They call it the hunger season. And one more picture, please. <clears throat> this is a group of widows. Because in addition to work and getting paid and earning money and health checks for themselves and school uniforms and equipment for their children, they also get education. Many of these women which is very typical in a Hindu country, have not gone to school. They cannot read or write. So they will get education as well. That's why they need the kind of support, very basic, simple support, to get a, rung, a foot on the rung of the ladder to lift themselves up just a little bit. So it's making a difference. Each week I used to go in Kathmandu to the YWCA and they had a program of non-formal education for the women. And non-formal education doesn't mean just being able to read and write and add up. It's how to behave in society. And there was a lot of fun and laughter. The Nepalese people have a great sense of humor. And it's, we just want to say it was a great privilege being there and being part of that community. And one more. They look older than what you would expect a widow to look. But actually, it's because life has been very hard for them. We were often in remote villages, and I would say to Janet, look at that woman there. She looks about 80, but in reality, she was probably about 40. They didn't have dental care, you see, either. And they don't have grey hair, <laughs> nor do the men have grey hair. It's good for dye. So there they are, and it's a fantastic project. So I want to say to the woman here, the PW woman, and others who contributed, thank you. Your help is making a difference to those women. It's making a difference to their children. And it will make an enormous difference in that community. But most of all, it will make a difference to how the Hindu community see the church. Because most, almost all of those women are Hindus. None of them belong to the church. Maybe two, I think. But the church is serving the people. They're stirred to action. One more picture. There's a group of them. And one more. Now, one final thing. This is a young Nepali couple. Janet and I were at their weddings, at their wedding, and uh, they're a fantastic couple, brought up in the big city of Kathmandu, which is a comfortable city. Pastor said to them, I'll only marry you if you'll live together. In other words, it's very common in Nepal for a couple to marry, and one has to go off because of work, and maybe sends months away, sometimes years away, and the wife or the husband stays behind. This couple were called to Rukum. They oversee that project on behalf of PW. He is employed by United Mission to Nepal. She is 20 years of age and went to live in a small room, no bigger than a simple bathroom with a little room upstairs where she does her cooking. So we want to say this to you. The work in Nepal doesn't depend on mission people like us. It depends on people on that screen who are Nepalis, who are reaching out to their own people and serving God. A wonderful Christian couple. She teaches in the little Sunday school, and he oversees the project. 
They're serving God in that remote region among their own people. So we can give thanks this morning. Not just that PCI sends people out, not just that PW sends money out, but also that somehow it makes a difference because like the oil for the widows, God multiplies it. God helps it to grow bigger. God changes lives through it. Now, we could tell you stories about politicians. We could tell you stories of forgiveness programs. But we don't have time for that. But just to say this, we went out with specific jobs to do. But the main job was to love other people. That's what mission is. It's just simply loving other people no matter who they are. And that's a task for all of us, to love other people outside this door. I suppose I'm wondering, who are the widows in Ballyhackamore? I mean, who are the people in need? And who will be stirred to action here, like the pastor and leaders of that church, to reach out to serve the people? May God bless you. Thank you very much, Joe and Joe.